topic is um, what is your favorite sermon and why? Uh, and this could be for any reason, the impact it had on you and why, um, kind of the right message at the right time, um, or just it touched you for some reason. So each of us are going to share one of, I'm sure it would be hard to pick the best, uh, maybe keep it down to the top three, it is a time show, and uh, why that's your favorite sermon. Forty years of church here. A lot, a lot to choose from, a lot yeah. of material. Though. Go for it, I, I don't no, need no, to No, no, go ahead. I didn't, wasn't angling for first, I was just... So, picking three so who, who's going to be first? It's you, Gavin. I think we just oh, decided. Yes. Well, I was privileged to have sat in Jim Key's infamous Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> sermon. So, I, I, it's that's up there. I yeah, mean, and I was not there, but I have heard so much about it. <laughs> so, back in the old days, all the youth sat in the back. It's a different day and time. Everybody had their, all the boys had their pocket knives out, trying to cut each other whittling on the church pews yeah, or cutting cut, ponytails carving the jeez oh it's a rough it crowd a, <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a meaner church back then and we we're all you know that's why we had to get the metal detectors <laughs> that's <laughs> right we and should Do have dobermans but we're all sitting with our elbows on our knees in the back row and he starts with the sodom and gomorrah and and says what lot did pit pin I'm pitched. Be pitched his tent, tent. towards Sodom. what he was supposed to say. And he, he was, you know, the, the sermon was about backsliding. You, this is how it happens. But it did not even sound close to pitched his tent towards Sodom. That's a Freudian slip. Yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And well, we, all the boys in the back were like this. And he just kept hammering it. In unison, all <laughs> ten of us went. <laughs> and I, I looked, Shane Todd was sitting by me. I said, is that a thing? Because they do a lot of weird things in the Old Testament. Oh, no doubt. And he's just shaking his head. And it was almost a wave that went over the, the congregation. Yeah. You, you could see no. everybody's... No. You thought this would be spiritual. I'm sorry you said favorite thinking, sir. It's better we get it out of the way. Right. It is. I've, I've got other spiritual ones. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, I was in that sermon, so I had to... You know, I had to it, well, it, so and that was here at Bethel. So yeah, it's oh like yeah, the right here. That lives in Jim yeah. Key is from Arkansas, and he had not well, yet lost his <laughs> lost his. So it was Lord help. pinched his. You know, and Don twenty five times. Yeah, he said it one yeah, time be, because he kept using that as the. <laughs> it explains a lot on a message that influences your life. <laughs> where you're at today. <laughs> it made an impression on me. Uh, so, and so another more spiritual one. Oh, let's if, hear. It. If, if we can rebound, rebound from that. Uh, Ernest Evans. Pro so I'm going way, way back. Ernest Evans preached one on. Uh, it, it was a sermon on repentance, and we all have an opportunity for repentance up until a point. He was right. making that point, <clears throat> and he used the example of a kid that went through the woods and uh, just tied a knot in a sapling tree. And he just made the example that, you know, he could have gone back three days later and untied that knot. He could have gone back a week later and untied that knot. But six months later, it's going to be hard to get that knot out. Mm. A year later, it's going to be hard to get that knot out. And if there's no repentance, that tree's going to be deformed for mm -hmm. life. So that, that was an impressionable sermon, too. <clears throat> that's, so, a, that's a good illustration. Do I still have time? Yeah, you've yeah, got time. Yeah, you're good. We're not on a two-minute limit in this particular segment. Okay, well, I could take the whole segment. Oh, no, no, we're not going to let you do that. You get one more, brother. 
So uh, Ernest Evans not Jim Keys pinch, pinches. Uh, we get it. Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going to mention passing. Brother Barman uh, did a series on the Ten Commandments that mm -hmm. was outstanding. Mm -hmm. Todd Groats uh, didn't bend, didn't bow, didn't burn mm -hmm. at camp. Drill mm -hmm. uh, Mitchell's The Three Laws of Retribution. Uh, hard hitting Ben Ben Kingston's unseen hand. Do Look you there. remember that? Oh uh, yeah, you made uh, the top ten. Ben. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm impressed. Uh, On so, Gavin so, Hooks's list. <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's forty years of church. Uh, so uh, many more. Of course, you know I hear I hear I've been listening for thirty years on radio preachers too. So you bet that the in church or in person hearing the. Uh, those messages that's easily my oh top yeah Ravi Zacharias so. every single one right you know, yeah. I was just thinking I've had forty years of church but I've only really been paying attention the last <laughs> like fifteen <laughs> so at least you're honest well yeah. you would have been paying attention in Jim Keys uh, everybody <laughs> was paying attention that's to, the way you get attention it, it was like you know some of the adults were like this is a train wreck they, they you know they're, yeah they're, stop they're, stop just, just stop. please stop saying it kids are like keep going this is awesome <laughs> it was terrible. Dale, were you in that sermon? You were no. that, was that before your He's time? He's sort of wishing he wasn't yes. here right now. <laughs> or, or he repressed it. He was there. Right. He just. Right. <laughs> Tom, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, we'll start out with a, some pictures that uh, oh. I sent. Visual aids. Yeah. So there's one of them. Oh Look gosh. at that. Yeah. I, that's one of the first lines I say. So Little we'll, babies we'll, there. We'll hold that one there for These a second. These are pictures of Tom and Lindsay when they were 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is when we first met. Um, so we were basically 18 and 19 there, and we were married. We were on our way to Washington State. And so and my, that's a full-blown Labrador there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that dog just that dog passed away ferocious. a couple years ago. Aww. And we took a picture and put it side by side uh, with me and her and the dog. And the dog's all ugly and overweight. Me and her both put on some pounds. It was like one of those <laughs> wrecking back pictures. Before but, and after. But my favorite sermon, uh, there are many. Uh, one right. of them was like the three chairs. Yeah. Uh, Brad has preached yeah. that. And ones that have touched me. But one of my favorite ones was one I did on July 30th, 2017. And it was on love. And I used these uh, pictures in it. And um, in that sermon, I reckon back to 2014 on July 8th when I also preached up here. And it was uh, basically the week after we got Lindsay's cancer-free diagnosis. Mm. And that message, um, like in the subtitles, it was the blueprint of love and how God has drawn this blueprint for us. And uh, blueprints are confusing to read if you don't know what you're looking at. But with right. practice, right. You, it's easy to figure it out. And uh, the whole summarization of it was how quickly we forget how to love one each other. Mm. And um, I remember in that message, I speak about it, and I, I'd like to revisit it again because in, in that message, I'm on the stage when I put on the screen, you know, three years prior when we found out about her cancer. So I'd love to do it again in 2021 sure. and, you know, have three screens talking about how things have changed. But I remember holding her the day I was right down the road on a side job when she called and said she had melanoma and the world stopped. Mm -hmm. And I remember holding her in my arms and watching the ceiling fan. It's like I just could see everything was in slow motion. And I remember telling Pastor Ben here, is that I felt like I was playing tug-of-war with God on who loved her more. Mm. And he graciously let me and my family win one. And my children were young enough that if we were to have lost Lindsay, they wouldn't have known their mm. mother. You know, and all those things were going through us. And I remember speaking at that time, how could I ever be mad at her again? 
you know, if I don't have clean socks or there's not, the dinner's not good. And, you know, in those moments, how could I ever be mad at her again? And I speak in that message six months, maybe a year, and we were right back at it. Mm. And as a human species, how do we forget how to love so quick? And so, of course, I talk about in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it does not dishonor others. Love never fails. Never fails, you know. And so, I, in that entire message, I keep using blueprint analogies. And um, I focused on marriage between a husband and wife because that is the blueprint that God has designed. Right. And I said, you know, children and family, they all fall in that. But I use the analogy that I'm worried about cleaning my carpets if I don't have a roof on my house. That doesn't make much sense. So the structure of marriage is the protection. It is what makes everything else fall into place. And I, um, I listen to this message at least three times a year. If anybody is ever, oh, you preach, this is the one I send to them, you know. Um, so you can go to BethelLondell.com. You can type in Thomas Nays slash love, and that will come up with the many other sure. um, messages we do. But um, in that, there was absolutely some poetry, and if I've got enough time, I'd like sure. to do a couple of them. Uh, one of them, it was very simple, and it went, there aren't enough words in the English language to describe all Jesus's pain, suffering, and anguish, so just check all the boxes marked, all the above. His name had five, but needs only four letters, and I think they spell love, and so that one has stuck with me. Um, one of the things, any preacher who preaches, and we'll touch this on the last subject, um, it is of God, for God, and by God. Right. But when you get that confirmation, like when somebody comes up to you and says, wow, that, right. that touched me, you would only know if you've received that. And I know Pastor Ben has, and probably people telling you, Tara, oh, you're, no meaning, like from these radio podcasts, you know, something touched yeah, me. Yeah, Tara doesn't preach. Just, well, just to right, that right. But I'm meaning, but if you're speaking of God, if, if, if yeah. something blesses somebody, you know the Holy Spirit's working. You and I, I had a gentleman in this church um, after that message, he'd been married 35 plus years, and he came up to me the next weekend, uh, tearful, and said, Thomas, that message changed my life. Though that blew me away. He said he hadn't worn his wedding ring in years. Well, his wife found it. They got it resized. You know, <laughs> well, fast forward a couple years later, they both went through massive bouts of cancer, and they're, they're just... Both you, of them. Both of them. So you know who I'm speaking. Oh, yeah. And to have a grown man say that to you, that's the Holy Spirit wrote that message. Amen. Um, I'll be wrapping up here shortly. In, in that message, um, or not? Yeah, I'll make it quick. Prove it. Um, Alice, we talked about Hank and Alice Holdebrandt. Hank had just had his stroke. Yeah. He had an old truck. We walked down there, and the whole time he talked about Alice and Alice and Alice. And I, re I questioned myself: Am I living a life that, when I'm his age, am I going to be saying Lindsay? Lindsay, Lindsay, when kids are looking at all the junk that mm -hmm. I've collected over the years. <laughs> we talked about, you know, if you, with the blueprint analogy, if you go to somewhere and you're like, I like this place. This is just awesome. That was Ken and Joanne. Mm -hmm. And I, I referenced them. It's like you could walk into their home and like, I like this place, the building that they constructed. And I did say, you know, I am not God's gift to women, but I am Lindsay's gift. And she is my gift. And we need to treat that for each other. And you can go to the next and final picture. Um if he has it here. So there's a glove, and if you look at my left finger, you can see something shining through it, and you, there's a zoomed-in picture. And in construction, especially with the blueprint, if something flashes in your eyes, you're about to get crushed by a big piece of machinery. Well, I was working at Six Flags, 
uh, one day and something shined in my eye and it was my gold ring shining through my glove. And I stopped because the Holy Spirit touched me and I wrote this. There's a hole in the glove that protects my left hand. And over the years of hard work, that hole reminds me that I am a lucky man. So as that glove protects my fingers from working to their bones, a color of gold shines through that hole, and it reminds me that I am not alone. Some days are hard, and some days are sure tough. But then I look through that hole at that ring, and it shows me our love will forever be enough. So as the years pass by faster and my hands grow tired and begin to feel old, I'll find strength in our love, and I'll find strength in our gold. So at tomorrow at work, I'll trust in that glove to do its small part. And I will forever stay strong with our love, the glove for my heart. Very good. That's my favorite message. Very good. I feel like you might have a future in writing cards or country songs. Or <laughs> I mean, you really need to rethink your career choice here. That, that was my plan. I wanted to work for Hallmark. And, you should. Uh, and But I ended up joining the military, and the rest is history. Amen. That's good stuff. And uh, he was commissioned today to write a poem for Easter, so you'll be hearing nice. more from him on Easter Sunday. You want to go? You want me to go? Yeah, I can go. go. Um, there's a lot to choose from. The chairs, the three chair sermon, um, which I got to hear at the teen conference, and yes. then Brad um, preached it. It was a mind-blowing, awesome sermon. Uh, on material, what I, I love is when you hear a message on material or a scripture that you've heard, again and again and again, you know, when you grow up in church, you hear a lot of messages, and then to hear it brand new is awesome. Um, I don't know what the sermon was about specifically, but I have to give Ben credit. There is something that has stuck with me for probably eight years now, if not more, when he said, you were speaking about prayer, and you could tell you, were, you said, like, get your steel toe boots on here, and, and then you said, you know, if you, you just, if you need to know what kind of Christian you are, you need to look at your prayer life. If you're a uh, if your prayers are selfish, you're a selfish Christian. If your prayers are weak, you're a weak Christian. If you're, you know, he went on, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is such a Stop. convicting moment right now," and I didn't have my steel toe shoes on. <laughs> um, but I've always remembered that. And there's uh, many things that you say, and I requote you. Um, but one specific sermon that for me, uh, I've listened to—I can't even tell you—six, seven, eight times, maybe. Um, it's a John MacArthur sermon on um, anxiety, and it's mm. to being anxious for nothing. I think he has labeled the sermon worry-free or anxiety-free right. living. And um, not knowing it, but it took me years to come to terms with the fact that I'm a worrier. Um, and then it took more years uh, for me to realize that it was not just worry, it was fear, and it mm. was a stronghold, and it was a place of great sin in my life. Um uh, and I remember my mom saying, like, oh, you're a worrier like your dad. And I was like, oh, so generational sin. So we're all this way. That, you know, let's not break the cycle or anything. Uh, and at one point, I, we were doing a series in our small group about um, change your thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was talking about having strongholds. And I admittedly said, oh, my stronghold is fear. I might deal with that someday. Not ready to do that yet. You know, kind of in it. It was almost like I was saying you know, glib. So, yeah, sorry, God, right. I'm not ready to deal with this mm. deep, dark issues yet. No, in other words, you were nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Oh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what it looked like from heaven. And uh, it me. came to a skirt, I mean, just an all out. I wish I was better with words like Tom is that I could write this into a poem or a song or in words. How... For $29.95. Yeah. <laughs> God said, watch this. Yeah. Right? 
And I, I, God wasn't going to let me live in that sin anymore. It right. was, we were going to have it out and I was going to get rid of this fear in my life. And it was as painful and as ugly as it could be. Um, but in that time, I started listening to a whole lot of sermons on worry. And this was by far the pinnacle of them all. And um, I even referenced this when we talked about um, should you prep, should you not prep. And I said, you know, this borders on living in fear for me. I right, won't right, do right. it. Um, but it was preached out of Luke 12, 22, um, in which Jesus is speaking. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. And it goes on to talk about, uh, I've provided for you in every way. Even in death, I've provided eternal life. So there's nothing you have to worry about on this planet. Um, and he even says, you know, I understand why people in the world today have fear and anxiety and worry. It's almost you look at the world around you and you're thinking, I'm just here dangling in this universe of just unexplainable fear and tragedy and worry when you are not looking to God. He goes, I understand why that would be a fear we have. Um, but the beginning of that message became uh, a whole lot of healing mm -hmm. and just digging in deeper and uh, dealing with why why do I have fear? Why am I worrying about this? And um, it was a life-changing, and that and a, and a whole lot of other, you know, good counseling and good books and things, but this sermon series was pivotal for me. Man. One thing he says, and I just got to throw this out here, um, he talked about how in a, a dense fog that's, you know, several stories high and several blocks, you know, seven or eight blocks this way, seven or eight blocks that way, it can shut down a city, a dense fog. And the truth is, it's less than a glass of water worth of some? moisture. It's barely any water, and it will shut down an entire city. And I was like, if that doesn't describe the fog up in here in, <laughs> in this mind that I'm trying to clear out, I don't know what does. Um, but he was saying that's what, what worry is in our life. There's just one little trickle that becomes bigger than God, and anything that you've allowed to be bigger than God um, is a place of sin. A stronghold. Yeah. And uh, I, this is something that sooner or later is going to be a, a sermon series here because so many people in our church have gone through it. For me, this is so similar to uh, migraines in that people told me all my days, oh, yeah, I have a migraine, and I just, it's, an, it's a headache. Get, get over it. M move on, you know. I had headaches all my life. Went to the hospital for them, took Tylenol, you know, out the wazoo. It's a headache until I got a migraine. And so for people to, if you will, think, come on now, anxiety, worry, hopefully you never go through it. But, oh, yeah. but it, it is different you than know, your run-of-the-day, oh, I'm a little concerned. You see what yeah. I'm saying? So we had done a study in our small group, um, and it was a it was a book, a couple's book, and one of the it was a preacher, and he would say a piece, and then the wife would say a piece, and they kind of went back and forth uh, teaching on marriage, and the wife had this whole story about how she went through this anxiety, and it was so bad, and and I remember reading it, thinking like, really anxiety? That was that's what was so bad, until so I was said woman in the story, and then. Now, when you get freedom from something, you want everybody else to be free. Amen. And, uh, again, that was an ugly battle, and uh, it was fought with blood, sweat, and tears, there is no doubt. But uh, now I want everyone to have that freedom. Amen. I have a great deal of sympathy for it. So. Amen.
good stuff. Nothing like a painful experience to plant the seed of passion in you for other people for That's the right. same type of pain or problem. Someone I know wrote a book of, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. message it of pain. Sounds like it would be a good book. Shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> so, uh, w- what is the fa- our favorite sermon? And I think everybody here has admitted it's difficult to tie it down to one. Uh, but probably, you know, f- for this setting here, uh, Jerry Vines, I was um, in between college and here uh, coming as you guys as youth director and as such. And Jerry Vines was at that time in the mid-80s, he was rising to the top, if you will, in Southern Baptist Convention, and he was just a popular preacher. And someone handed me a cassette uh, and I listened to that message over and over and over, and it was called Glimpses of Glory. And, and I, you'll hear me occasionally, I said it just Sunday, I think, about Moses asking God to hide him in the cleft of the rock. Well, that, that's all a part of that message. But Jerry, again, was ascending, if you will, the ranks, because he was being used of God, because he was using the talents that God had given him. And anybody in that situation, and I certainly can't relate to that on any level because this is an association of 40,000 churches. Uh, Southern Baptists are a big deal in the world. And he was getting to where he was getting invites from everywhere. He was traveling the worldwide and the such. And he he was keeping his mind right and all that. But, but still, you know, that little glimpse of pride was, was getting in there. And I forget if it was his second or third child, but uh, he had a child that she had some special needs. It just wrecked his world, absolutely wrecked his world. Loved the kid more than life itself, but the fact that this child, that God would allow this child to have these special needs, it, it wrecked his world. And he went to a park one day and basically got on his face and said, I have held nothing back from you, and I have done everything you've asked me to do. And you have used me widely and extensively. Why would you treat me this way? Basically, you know. And God spoke to him, not with his, you know, he didn't hear it with his physical ear. He heard it with his heart. Son, you were getting too big for your pants. I needed you to keep everything in proper perspective. I had to get your attention, okay? Now, the, the, we can sit here and argue the theology of that, that, that was the experience he had. And so what God got, he basically had a Job experience where God said, I'm taking care of the child. Child, child is my, my child. I love that child with everything I have, and you should too. And he said, basically, I want you to realize that my, uh, I'm sufficient. The, the message of Job is God is enough. So the, the, the climax of that message is, he says, now when I'm in my study at my home, I can hear my daughter clunking up the stairs to tell me that she loves me. And he said, I get glimpses of glory. And I'm telling you, what, wherever he was at in that Not cassette, they eye. came loose. I mean, it just, it just was, you know, you, you long to hear things like that and, and such of that nature. And he had a fit too, you know. It, it was good stuff. Glimpses of glory. And, and I've had a few of those moments, you know, uh, in my own life. Uh, and so that, that, that's a message that, that sticks with me. Um, to to, to, to <laughs> real quickly go along Gavin's first one there, 
Um, I, I've had a few moments uh, in my situation, and uh, I hope everybody listening and everybody here knows that, that I, this, this, sometimes you say things that you don't really intend to say. What? You know? Right. And, and, and so um, we, we've been a year or two maybe, we had our uh, homecoming here, and we, you know, we were down in number, and we were struggling. We had a really, really great day, and we were growing as a church, and uh, Mark McGuire was at 68 home runs, and his home run run. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Correct. <laughs> and so at the end of the service, we'd had a great service. I just said, just offhandedly, this is better than 69. And two of the kids in the youth group went, <laughs> and I went, home runs, home runs, 69, home runs. I mean, you know, what do you do at that point? You know, and, and it was those blasted kids, Easy. those dirty-minded, guttural kids. They were mine, probably. But anyway. Uh, Deacon's kids. Deacon's no kids, that's doubt. right. See, now I'm Deacons. glad. I don't know if I'm blushing It was right probably now. Deacon's. I was probably sitting up here but, mistaking uh, me for a little kid. I will say, there's been a handful of times that I am flat blushing in my pew from things I've heard. But I'm like, just let it go. Let it go. So I'm sitting. Yeah, well, so we better quit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Move along. These Come are, on, these are legitimate, yeah. uh, how would you call it? Uh, I want to ask you, do you remember what I'm talking? about the unseen hand i'm looking for the scripture verse that you used in it where the two guys are walking down the sidewalk and the yeah, guy yeah. sees that oh, ball oh up yeah and, yeah i tell that story or? about ever so often well it's a song uh there is an unseen hand oh, to me okay. moving in ways that i cannot I'm, I'm see i'm googling that yeah it's, it's that a person. it's an old hymn and the story gotcha. is from uh it'll come to me uh, phil hoskins in kingsport tennessee one again one of the biggest southern gospel or southern baptist preachers uh, of our day he's still preaching and um, it, it's a great story. It's a, he tells it better than I do. Good, but, good sermon. But I've used it, yeah. All right, our next topic, and I kind of hesitated on this because it's on are you a Mary or a Martha? And then I was like, Ben, do you think the guys are going to be okay with saying am I a Mary or a Martha? But you know the personality type. Oh. So, um, but this is about, uh, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, and this is in 38. So some of you will be very familiar with this. Maybe some of you won't, so I'll read this. Um, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I just posed the question. I think we all have times when we're Marys and sometimes when we're more like right. the Martha yeah. mindset. So right. I think that's a normal thing. But what would you say predominantly, Mary or Martha? Uh, when I was less mature in the faith, because we, we never say we're fully mature sure, in the sure. faith, I was absolutely a Martha. Because I would watch how I was serving God and I would judge other people. Well, they could do better in this area or this area or this area. When you know, the plank in my eye. Sure. As I've matured, I think a little bit of both. Um, I think it's natural. Like you said, if you listen to another preacher, you think, oh, I could have done that better, or you right. steal something from right. them and use it. But the instant a thought like that, a Martha thought comes in, I, I think of Mary. It's like, no, they're serving in their way, and I need to just listen and absorb it. And uh, basically, you know, I know, it doesn't take two minutes, but I, I think as I mature, I'm more of a Mary and just uh, mind my own fence. Right, amen. Gavin? I, I, I just have the flip story of t 
Thomas, I, I feel like I started out naturally as a Mary, but I've grown into a Martha as time goes on. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I, the old adage that as you ever every 10 years, you double your responsibility and you half your energy. Uh, so I'm, I'm there. I've doubled my responsibility and have my energy about, well, almost six times. Uh, so the weight of that tends to make me and Martha. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just sorry. And, and I know that it's Well, and a, it's our definitions fault. could be a little different how we perceive Sure, sure. True, but worrying about many things is where I would say I am now. I, I struggle with that. And if I don't start out the morning right with the Lord and mm. have my cup of coffee with him, it's I'm Martha all day long. And I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I'm pretty sure that Martha is capable of biting heads off because I'm, I'm pretty good at that, too. If I don't start out my day right, if I don't... Although the Bible the doesn't necessarily say that, but... No. But I think no. that's kind of what Mary is saying here. <laughs> Jesus, Martha bit my head off again, is kind of what right. happened. Well, and like the Bible says, if they are not for us, if they're not against us, they're for right, us. You know, right, we're right, casting right. out demons in your, no, your right. name, Lord. And that. Well, and I think that's too. A person is relative in their own situation, you know. So Martha believed she was doing the right thing. I think just with maturity, right. she could have looked at the situation bigger. And, and it's a matter of making the choice to do it every day. That's, that's just, exactly that's, right. Uh well, so I would say that um, I, I'm definitely a Mary, but I certainly have Martha tendencies. Uh, my love language is touch. Uh, I have a passion for vibrant relationships. Uh, I, I want to go deep, if you will, in the relationship. I, I want to get beyond how's the weather uh, and such of that nature. I, I want to, you know, what, what's God doing in your life? You know, what what is moving and shaking? Uh, what, what, what have you got that you feel like, that God could get involved here and just and just tear up the world, you know, on a positive level. And so um, I and, and I was greatly impacted by my mother in those areas from the standpoint of she would spend time with me. She would spend we cooked together, and that's why I have a passion for cooking and the such. And uh, m my dad was the instructor. My dad was the teacher. Uh, you know, Proverbs says that uh, the, the father is the lamp. And the mother is the light. And so I get from that that on a hierarchical level, the father is to be that firm, uh, sometimes hard structure. Structure, right. You, son, you need to do this, 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 this. But the mom is that warmth and that, uh, you know, she comes in and, and fills in the blank. The dad gives the one, two, three of the skeletal outline, and then mom gives the ABC of each, you know, this is how you do it, son. This is how you do what your dad's asking you to do. You know, you need to make your bed. You need to put your stuff in the drawers and all that. And that's what mom did for me. And so, you know, I, I, I want to spend time with that person. I want to spend time with that person that wants to, if you will, tutor me in the ways of life. And I think that's worship. You know, uh, worship uh, is a response uh, to, to, the, to the magnificence of God. And so Mary was sitting there wide-eyed and, if you will, glazed-eyed at the creator of the universe, and she was just soaking it in. Now, it, it, and we've all said it, uh, Martha's are needed too, and Martha's can worship too. Uh, just it's many, many times Martha's have to uh, overcome that, that fear. You know, and, they have and, to try pretty hard. Yeah, true, <laughs> right, right. Speaking right. as Martha. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. Um, so anyway, uh, and I put here at the end, the older I get, uh, the easier it is to get distracted. Um, 
and, and I, I, so I would agree with Gavin from the standpoint that I think I started out as a Martha, but now I have some pretty strong, I'm sorry, started out as a Mary, but I have some pretty strong Martha tendencies uh, because I, I have a to-do list. Every day that I wake up, I got a to-do list. And, but you're right. It doesn't right, go away. It doesn't it go just away. Gets bigger. It's right. And, and, if, and if you don't worship and you don't get, if you don't see the God of the list, yeah. the list becomes your God. Amen. So I think it's no surprise I'm a Martha. I have openly admitted that. I'd like to be more Mary. Um, and Martha always gets kind of the, like, bad rap, if oh, yeah. you will, a little oh, bit. Yeah. So, um, and normally I would sit and say what all of my weaknesses are that make me a terrible Martha. But instead, I'm going to look at some of Martha's, because I have a feeling there might be other Martha's in the crowd, um, some of her strengths. Um, her strength clearly was not being still. Uh, Mary was good at that, and I think that that's part of how they were designed by God. Sure. So when this whole thing unfolds, like, it's no surprise to Jesus, that's how they were designed to be. I think Mary was naturally a still person, um, and Martha was a doer. She was a busy person. Um, my dad always says, if you want to get things done, get a busy person. Uh, so we need, we need Martha's, but you're right when it comes to worship, and this is so true of myself, I have to make myself block it out. Turn off the phone, be alone, you know, and being alone, period, is nearly impossible, but just the stillness, I have to make that a priority. It does not come naturally to me. Um, but to Martha's credit, like, I can see this kind of unfolding. She's the one that goes to Jesus, Jesus, come to my house. It says she invites Jesus in. So here comes Jesus and everybody with Jesus. And I think it starts out as good intentions, like I want to serve Jesus. Mm -hmm. She recognizes who he is and um, wants to feed them a meal, be hospitable. She's being a probably, good hostess. Probably got the spiritual gift of service. Right, right. She is, you know, she is a so hostess. So Mary was just riding on Martha's coattails. That's right. She I just mean, and Mary's like, I'm so, she always does this. She's always sitting around when it's time to do something. She's always sitting here. But I mean, I could see, I have some sympathy for it. Like, um, maybe she's got the perfectionist tendencies. Like, she wants to nail this meal to the wall and be, like, overly impressive it's to Jesus and his disciples. It's only the savior of the world for dinner. I right. Mean, you know. I mean... <laughs> So she's trying to, like, throw it down and just really, you know, blow the socks off this. Without a microwave. Yeah. Without an electric yeah. convection oven. Yeah. Get a chicken, Yikes. cut its head off, get to plucking, 12 right? Twelve-plus people. Yeah. Well, and it could even, this could even harken back to our message about what the church is becoming. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the message is very simple. You know, and we, the in, in a nationwide, we're trying to, have rock star preachers and laser shows and all. we're trying to make it bigger than what it is. Right. And Martha was possibly doing that when Mary's like, it's simple. Right. It's just Christ. You S don't have to sit do at his feet. Yep. But I think she was just, you know, I could see her just trying to do a good job and it got a little spiraled out of control and she, you know, kind of comes at Jesus and you know, we know how the rest unfolds. But to her credit, if I could skip into John 11, um, where Mary and Martha, this comes back into play again. They're obviously very, become very close with Jesus, and Lazarus dies. Mm -hmm. So who is portrayed as the person that's going out to get Jesus? Well, lo and behold, Mary's back at the house being still, and Martha's the one that's like, Jesus, Lazarus has died. If you would have been here sooner, you would have done right. something. But then she shows this, like, amazing faith, and I'm going to read it to you um, to her credit. And, again, this is me being a Martha, wanting to speak to the other Marthas out there. <laughs> Um, and she says, Martha's anonymous. In. Yeah. <laughs> Martha's <laughs> unite. How yeah, great would it have been if her a, name was Mar Karen though? Oh, that oh. Awesome. so this My is, is John Tara 11, 
verse 20. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. No surprise. Sorry, Mary. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, through he, though he will die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So she has this, like, awesome profession of faith. And I think just ultimately in life, she was just a doer. Um, flawed, like we all are. You bet. Uh, for sure. And like myself, I can see all the, oh, i got to hurry up and do this and do this. And then I'm going to add this also to my plate, even mm. though there's not really room for it. And, of course, it's got to be perfect. It can't just be halfway um, and so those are the things that she probably struggled with, and many of us do. Um, but ultimately, she's confessing, uh, I believe you're the Christ. I believe that if you say so, Lazarus will rise, and we'll do it right now. Um, so that's almost a merry moment. That's a merry trait, just that blind faith. So well, It's interesting the way that John, the, so this is written from John's eyes, and in verse 5, did you read the, verse 5? I started in 11, verse 20. So it... it explains that this is the Mar Martha that Jesus loves and her sister Lazarus. So Martha's center stage here with Christ's affection. I thought it was interesting that John saw it as Jesus really loved Martha and her sister, no name, and Lazarus. So, I mean, from, from John's perspective, there's obviously a love relationship there, and Jesus was by any means saying he loved Mary more than he loved Martha, hmm. uh, just was pointing that out. And two, um, back in Luke chapter 10, when he says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, he wasn't saying, Mary, you're so much better than Martha. No. I think what he is saying is, <laughs> not. I didn't mean for this to relate back to what I said about the sermon on anxiety at all. It just kind of happened that way. But um, I think he's saying, like, you don't have to be this way. It doesn't. You don't have to be worried and troubled about many things. I think he's trying to address a behavior in her that he sees that she needs to correct. He's not saying, well, you don't do anything right, Mary. You oh, see no. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so l let's think about this, too. How many times does Job's poor wife get thrown under the bus because she told her husband, curse God and die? Right. I personally believe that that was her showing compassion. I believe, babe, if you go ahead and do the last defiance, God will put you out of your misery. And, and that's what you need. You need to be put out of your misery. You've lost your ten children. You've lost all your wealth. And look at you. You're, you're dying. You are dying. You've got boils all over and such. Now, I'm one of the few that, if you will, take up, you know. So my point is, we won't know till we get to heaven the context of all this. Because Jesus could have absolutely been throwing Mary a bone here because maybe she didn't get very many bones thrown her way because she was a very still person. <laughs> And, and this was one Which I opportunity. I would like to be more like. Right, right. right. This was one opportunity still. that Jesus could say, Mary, this is good. You, you want to sit at my feet. You want to worship me. That's good. But you need to pay attention to what your sister's doing here, you know, because uh, Mary's, bless her heart, she's knocking her head off trying to provide. So uh, who knows? We won't know the context. 
the, the, all we have here is, is that it seems as if maybe Jesus rebuked Martha. It seems that way, but we won't know till heaven. But I, I couldn't agree more that, that Martha was not necessarily wrong in all that she did. It was just in this particular case, Mary was not wrong in worshiping at Jesus' feet. Does that can't oh, go yeah. wrong there? Yeah, oh, yeah wrong that's there. exactly right. No, normally I would have taken the, the stake of, well, look at Martha, distracted as always. <laughs> I've always thought it could have said, Tara, Tara, you're yeah. troubled by many things. <laughs> there you go. I threw myself a bone on this one. Do you that, see how that, that works? I, I like it. I liked it. <laughs> and, and I th but I think it fits. I, I really do. Uh, got a couple of texts to catch up on. Uh, Larry says, fear does not stop death. It stops life. And worrying does not take mm -hmm. away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Uh, I think everyone has to be a little both. Otherwise, nothing would get done. And then Christina Fogg says, uh, Frog in the Pot of Boiling Water by Tom Smith, Mount Zion, because it opened my eyes. And we've all heard that illustration of the frog in the cool water, and they slowly turn the temp up yep. to where he gets boiled and he can't jump out. It's the same as your message you preached on the elephant as a baby with a little stake. Right. And, he, and then as he grows up, he's still held by that little stake. Right, yep. that he could easily rip out. Uh, so she also says, but when you just sit on the pew like Mary, where's the growth? I think you need to move back and forth. Between the two, it will be the most productive. And that, that's absolutely, you, you need both. You need to serve and you need to worship. You, if you just worship, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And if you just serve, you're serving out of an empty barrel. Uh, and you're, if you're not careful, you're consuming it upon the lust of your flesh. You're, you're taking men's applause or whatever it's the case leverage. may be. You can use it as leverage. It's leverage. You bet. Oh, look at what I've done for you. Yeah, you bet. Well, and that was free. We weren't even planning to talk about that. Wasn't even planning. All right, our third and final topic tonight is on the laws of the listener and the presenter. So, Ben? All right. So, uh, I believe we've covered this. I mean, we've been at this now almost six years, uh, so maybe more. So, I, I believe we've probably, so if, th if this is familiar, we apologize. But, ever, you know, there's a few subjects that each year we're, gonna, we're probably going to hit. And uh, just on the idea of uh, the laws of the, uh, preacher and the listener, and, and, and this is kind of uh, personal to me. And what I want to do is I want to read to you the article that I submitted to our Baptist uh, paper probably a year ago now, excuse me, and it comes, it comes out of a conversation that I had with a church member here, um, and if this person listens, you know, he'll know exactly who I'm talking about. It, it was a very wonderful conversation, and I feel like both of us came out of it uh, learning a, a little something-something. But it was the first time that I had ever articulated uh, the need of the listener, if you will, the responsibility of the listener. Now, you know, you guys know I've hit you pretty often on uh, boring things matter uh, and the such. So I'm just going to read the article, and then I'm going to let Tom and, and Gavin do what they want to in response to it, ask whatever questions or give whatever comment. Years ago, a man entered into my office with a heavy burden and a difficult critique. Once I assured him that I was willing to hear what he had to say, he very humbly told me that he wasn't being fed and he didn't want to leave but didn't know what to do. And we're talking about being spiritually fed through the sermons. So just so we are being clear, he was telling me very candidly that the messages that I was bringing were not helping or feeding him spiritually. Now, before we get into the meat of this article, let me give you some needed clarification and direction on this type of subject. First of all, we all need to create an atmosphere within our relationships that someone can come to us with this type of burden. Some of us are literally dying for someone to point out a blind spot. Secondly, this young man showed tremendous courage and love for me and wounding me for the gospel's sake. Thirdly, as James Dotson teaches, 
when you are criticized, resist the urge to defend. Always ask yourself, is there any truth to the criticism? If there is, even if it were given in a hateful way or hurtful way by a known enemy, they have done you a favor by pointing out something you couldn't see for yourself or had refused to confront. As I sat there reeling from the critique that I had just been given, I took my own advice and humbled myself and thanked him for sharing with me. I assured him that the issue could be totally on my end, and I shared with him very openly my struggles from time to time with sermon prep and such. So we had a very good conversation, but before I let him get away, I asked him for permission to explain a little further and deeper what all goes in and what I'm calling the discipline of the hearer. He said, sure. So I just shared with him that there is so much more going on than one individual person listening to a message that was specifically crafted to feed that one person. It's just simply not how it works. But therein lies the amazing miracle that God does in a sermon crafted by a competent preacher. And I'm not claiming to be one. I'm saying this is what happens when a competent preacher uh, seeking the Lord's will to be given to an entire congregation. If the listener has prepared himself or herself, they will receive what God wants them to receive each and every time. And yes, it is also dependent upon the pastor to do his preparation, his praying, and his presenting. But just for a moment... Let's assume that the pastor has done his praying, his preparation, and his presenting. We still may have a person that walks away thinking, I'm not being fed. Why? Because the hearer has to discipline themselves also. Very much in the same way with the ex exception of the last word. The listener has to be prayed up. He or she must have assaulted the throne of heaven and said, Lord, prepare my heart to hear what I need to hear. And then secondly, they must prepare they must prepare. This is something that I am completely convinced that our congregations do not do because of what I see throughout the churches that I'm exposed to. They do not come hungry. So if after you have prayed and asked God to prepare your heart, if you will sit there in prayerful meditation and ask these questions, why do I need to be hungry right now? What issues and questions in my life are not being answered that I desperately need answered by God and His Word so that I can go this morning or this evening hungry for what God has to say to me through this pastor and through this message. I guarantee you, if you allow God to put his finger on the unresolved issues of the conflict resolution things going on in your life, the work-related issues, the family-related issues, the neighbor-related issues, all the things that the devil uses to torture us, uh, the things that the world uses to allure and tempt us on all things that our flesh uses to divert and destroy us, if we will go to church with those questions and needs and hurts, wanting to be answered, wanting to be healed, in other words... If, if we go hungry, God's going to feed us, I promise. And then instead of presenting for the listener, it's going to be receiving. If we will receive, in other words, the listener is going to say, okay, Lord, I receive that. It's not really what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. So, Lord, I receive that. If we go with that attitude, I guarantee you again, we're going to be fed. I then shared with him that in no way was I trying to defend myself, but I just wanted him to be aware that at the same time that he was not being fed in the last three weeks, I had at least three different people or family groups come to me and say that they have grown more in Christ and in his word than they had previously because of what God was giving them through the messages and that he was giving to me. And so again, even though that I wasn't trying to defend myself or tell him that he was the issue as much as I wanted him to know that there's so much more going on in any given message and congregation worship experience than just one person and one preacher. You've got an entire congregation that there's some people at zero. They don't know anything about Christ. And some people at 10, they're regularly re reproducing themselves and winning people to Christ and discipling them. And so that is such a wide gap of knowledge and wisdom and understanding 
and the preacher is preaching to all of those people with the same message. And so again, if every person buys into the discipline of the hearer and they come prayed up, prepared, and ready to receive God's going, God is going to meet those needs, I guarantee it. So this should go without saying, but I have too much experience in this arena to ignore it. If you are not being fed, but you make no preparation to be fed, you can't listen because it's boring. You allow yourself to be distracted or veg into your phone. With all the love I can muster, you have not bought into the discipline of the hearer. One final note, boring things are important. And so that was the article. And so, uh, I, that again, that was 12 years ago, for sure 10. Uh, and this fellow is here every Sunday morning, uh, very faithful to the church, and, and, and he's, one, he's one of our ameners and the such. So we left that conversation, both of us, because, you know, I, I took it as a, okay, I, I need to do better on my part. Um, and, and then he took it as, he walked away understanding a little bit better of what goes in, if you will, in a message any given Sunday morning, Sunday night. Comments? <clears throat> oh, okay. <clears throat> Well, I'm glad to hear that it was like 12 years ago because at first when I read this, and, and so that's something you wrote? Yeah. Okay, well, because when I was reading it, I was like, man, this sounds like some conversations me and you have had before. That is one thing. It's very important to know and love somebody and trust somebody enough to wound them. You bet. You know, I would honestly say I've probably wounded you. Sure. You've wounded me, but we've grown as iron yeah. sharpens as iron. iron. You, sharpens you've iron. told me things that wounded me, but I needed to hear, right. and I grew from those things. So that is absolutely key. You know, you've, it you is. spoke before, have a mentor, have a confidant. Right. One of the, um, the biggest keys out of this is, uh, I believe, resist the urge to defend. Yeah. Um, I am fortunate enough to be in management, and when I bring, well, I say fortunate, it's more of a curse than a right. blessing. Well, but using these principles, because when I have to go to somebody to tell them, hey, your, your work isn't quality, or I think you're doing this wrong, I, I automatically know the first thing they are to do is defend themselves. And it's natural. Yeah, and if you're not trained in that, you instantly go on the defensive, right. and it becomes non-productive. I had a man just two days ago now, um, a guy I consider my friend, uh, basically call me out and say he can't trust me as far as he can throw me and can't believe I'd do this to them, and yada, yada, yada. And this is a man of faith, mm. you know, so what did I do? I'm like, let's go work together. You know, and we did. We worked side by side the rest of the day, um, you know, and hashing it out. And I think we came right. came out better of it. So the laws of the listener and the preacher. Um, the listener, uh, I put go with a blank canvas. Don't have an agenda. Right, Just right, go right. and listen. And that is asking God to teach you something. You um, give grace to the presenter. Yeah. You know, um, we've had new pastors, young pastors. Not everybody's your cup of tea. Right. You might not like it, but listen to what God is you giving bet. them. And um one of the things is don't be afraid to ask for clarification. Yeah. You know, I know you say that a lot, but I've heard things that might have offended me or whatnot. What did you mean by that, right, preacher? Right, right. You know, and we might have misspoke. You never know, like what, what you were speaking of earlier. And one of them is uh, with going with the blank canvas, um, nobody knows everything about the Bible at all. And I remember after Lindsay's cancer, you had preached on basically walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. And for anybody that's under 40, to me, that was just a Coolio song. You know, uh, it was a rap song. I didn't know nothing about the valley of the shadow of death. And after Lindsay's cancer, I realized we were walking in that valley. Mm. And I confided in Gavin here, Dr. Hooks, and he said, you know, what produces a shadow? Light. And that's there's right. something in the way. So while I was standing in the shadow of death, 
But if I could look through that, it's God's light behind it mm-hmm. that is casting that. And so, you know, a whole nother chapter, a whole nother section of the Bible opened up to me just by listening. Mm-hmm. So even though you think you might know it all, you probably don't. Mm. Um, so the presenter, um, that's why I said I thought this one was about me. But in preparing a message, they need to seek the Holy Spirit. You bet. For preparing it. You know, um, I uh, do not insert your own opinions unless it's relevant to the message. Right. Um, you know, God's word doesn't need to be spiced up. Um, that's why I've been asked to, can you preach? And that'll be like Saturday evening. And a sure. lot of times I decline. But that's just, I want to prepare. I basically memorize the message. I want to sure. give as much as my flesh can give God's word. And then be simple. Um, speak as Jesus did, like in parables. Mm-hmm. Um, I've caught myself in the past. There's a, there's a really famous um, gospel poet, and uh, he uses $15 words. You know, and I've had Lindsay listen to him, and she's like, I don't understand one thing he's saying. Right. He sounds cool, but a lot of my gospel poetry is ABC. You know, a, a first grader could read right. it. And, um, and then uh, be in tune with the times. Be relevant. You know, and because that's the one thing that people will say the Bible isn't, it's absolutely relevant. There's a wonderful um, website called openbibleinfo.com, and I took that to one of my construction sites one time, and I said, you can't stump the Bible. And it says, what does the Bible say about? And I was having these secular, non-saved men hit me with topics, and I'd type it in, and it would give me the scripture. And I said, you can't stump the Bible. And so uh, that's all I wrote down on that. Yeah, good stuff. I look at it as, and I, I'm just, it's just over the years how, how my perspective's changed some. That hour is a holy hour, and life-changing stuff happens during that hour. The, the pastor can be preaching a sermon, and ha- not even a message or a point that you wanted to convey gets conveyed. You bet. You, you can be preaching from one passage of scripture, one, three points in a poem, and you, the actually 150 different messages are received. That's right. Uh, the Holy Spirit can, can do that. That's how he's worked. He, he knows where we're at, knows what we need. Uh, one statement that I've heard over the years uh, that stuck with me, where the glory of God is shown, the voice of God is heard. Mm. And I feel like our song service is the glory of God shown. I, I just feel his His presence, his glory, his, his blessing. Um, and then his voice starts coming through. Many of the things that are the, the lines of thinking that I take through the scripture, I, they're advanced sitting there during the, the sermon. And they may be sermon related, they may not be. But right. I hear the points that, that are interesting to me, that are applicable to me, that sure. are needed by me um, in that hour. So I pray, that's what I pray for. I pray for that hour to be undisturbed and undistracted, that God's work would be done in that hour with his word going forth uh, he says his word won't return void or without product and that hours when that all that business should be should be taken care of so i pray for that hour when i remember to uh, which is most of the time and that i'll hear you know his voice when his glory is where god's glory is shown his voice is heard it, it happens to me sometimes when i'm not even trying for it and usually i'm not i shouldn't be trying for it i should be asking for it Man. there's nothing i can do to to get God's word delivered to me and in a form that I can understand and then I can apply to a problem in my life. 
the Holy Spirit does that, takes his word and, and applies it to a situation in your life. Yeah. And you should expect that. You should come expecting that you in bet. that oh, hour. Man. You should come expecting God to deal with the, even if it's complacent. I think the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is complacency. I mean, even if you're sitting in the, if you're sitting in the pew and thinking, oh, I could be doing something else, you're probably in a pretty dangerous spot. Uh, oh, so I would, that's what I would be dealing right there. Lord, please help me not to be complacent. Help me not, help me not to be apathetic. Um, engage me. God has millions of ways to engage you <laughs> and to keep you from being apathetic or uh, <laughs> letting you drift offside. Some of uh, them profitable for you, some yeah. of them not. Some painful. Yeah. So <laughs> there's several things there. I love that phrase. Uh, say it again. Where, where the glory of God is shown, shown his voice is heard. His voice is heard. I, yeah, you're going to see that. On a, on a board somewhere soon. That's good stuff. Uh, what situation, you know, you look at us three men here, and I'm sure the folks that are represented here, what situation have you gone into that if you prayed, you prepared, and you went in receptive to whatever happened was not a good experience? Oh, goodness. It almost always, is, or at least manageable, handleable, however you want to say it. But the opposite you didn't pray because you were too busy. You didn't get to prepare because I just got to get to it. And you weren't really receptive for anything except success. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bad, bad day. And so um, I, I'm, I'm begging and telling you that if you will do that same preparation for any message, any worship service, you, you're going to have a, a tremendous experience. Yeah, if you yeah. asked for a show of hands on that question, there wouldn't be an honest hand raised. Correct. You know, I think um, it, I'll make it quick. Just like when I got a text message that said, Jerry had two weeks to live, and that was my 82-year-old mm -hmm. grandpa. 9.30 at night, I turned around in the dark and went to his house. And that we went in there not knowing, you know, witnessing to your unsaved grandpa. And that night, he accepted Christ. Amen. I had to go in there with just... Yeah. Who knows what right. happened? If I would have went in there with judgment, or right. it wouldn't have happened. And he lives in heaven now because of that. Amen. You know, like you said, awkward is awesome. I think That's that right. is the blank canvas. You know, we everything's awkward to us that we're not familiar with. So I, I read an article. Uh, the, the fellow was trying to be cutesy, but basically he was saying that, you know, because he was a hunter, and he was at the sermon, and, you know, he went to church instead of going to the uh Deer stand. Woods. But because he got a favor. Right. But because he couldn't get his mind off of hunting, he would have been better off to, to go to the woods. And you won't get a, a preacher worth his salt to agree with that. Now, again, as your pastor, I've given all of you freedom that if you have freedom to go to the stand, you go. Guilt free, go. But you've got to have that freedom from the Holy Spirit. With that said, uh, you just cannot underestimate the ability of the Holy Spirit to work with anyone, you know, uh, and, and so. And you should assume he is working with everyone. That, that's it. That's it. Good stuff. Thank you guys. Tremendous crowd tonight. Tell your friends about this podcast. Get them involved in it. I know it'll be a blessing to them. Thanks, everybody.